Hey, folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. Listen, if you're like me, you've put your body through a lot over the years. <laughs> I mean, if you're really like me, you've been on the receiving end of a six-foot dog sledding whip very recently. But we're not here to talk about that. The point is, it's not too late to make amends. I, that might not entirely be true. I mean, it's quite possible the damage is just done. And uh, it's only a matter of time before you, your whole system just shuts down. Like like the computer HAL in 2001 A Space Odyssey. And you're just about to embark on a journey into the eternal silence. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. All right, all right, all right. The point, the real point is one way to counteract that and treat your body nicely is by filling it with honest tea. Now, the folks at Honest Tea, they brew real organic tea leaves and they add real organic ingredients to every bottle. So you get this refreshingly honest drink. It's just a tad sweet, tastes delicious. And finally, something your body will actually appreciate. So to find out more about the full line of beverages from Honest Tea, visit Facebook.com slash Honest Tea. All right? <laughs> now here's the show. Kids, this is Extra Risk, where we give you just a little bit more of the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and if you don't already know, regular episodes of Risk usually have three to six stories. These extra ones usually feature one or two. Uh, we're, ta- we're, uh, we're calling today's episode Mommy! Because, um, well, these stories are actually about moms and daughters, but uh, the word daughter is not the most compelling word. Uh, Those of you that are daughters should probably take that one back to the drawing board. Come on, daughters. The fuck? Both of today's stories come to us from students at thestorystudio.org. It's always such a pleasure to be helping people shape their life's experiences into these sorts of stories. The first comes to us from a wonderful lady named Jean Lebec. She's in my nine-week class right now. One of those people who has so many wonderful stories, it's hard to choose which one to feature. But this one, I'll bet it'll be as near and dear to your heart as to mine. And so here is the wonderful Miss Jean Lebec with a story we call... Making love. 
I first fell in love with Marcel's arms. I didn't expect to fall in love. I wasn't waiting to fall in love. But we worked at the same school together. Marcel's classroom was right down the hall from mine. And, oh my goodness, it was loud. It was busy. It was filled with giggling and laughing. And I made all these assumptions that that guy can't control a thing. And one day, I, I just had to see what was going on there. And... Walked down the hallway. His door was wide open. His door was always wide open. And there were kids everywhere. They were on a loft. They were on their stomachs. They were reading books. They were in corners. They were under his desk. They were everywhere. And when he saw me enter the room, he said, shh. And everybody stopped. And he looked at me and he said, can I help you? And that was it. It was all over. I loved him from that moment on. I fell in love with Marcel and I really, really didn't want to bring him in to the world that I had made so comfortable for myself and my daughter. My daughter Amy was eight years old, beautiful, incredibly, incredibly bright, why about everything and listening to answers about everything. And our life was a dance. We woke up in the morning and we walked to school together and we came home from school together. And she talked endlessly and I listened endlessly and I breathed her in and I breathed her out and I was going to make this world perfect. It was 1977. There was the women's movement. There were quaaludes. There was pot. There was bisexuality, homosexuality, hopping into beds, hopping out of beds. And I just wanted Amy to have this very safe, very normal life. So I wanted to be a perfect mother, and I wanted to give Amy what I thought was perfect. And she came first. And here comes Marcel, and I wasn't so sure that I could open up and have Marcel become part of all that. The first time Marcel met Amy, uh, I invited him over for dinner, and she proceeded to put a mop on her head and dance around and sing every single one of Bette Midler's songs, including the rose at the top of her lungs. He listened patiently. He did magic tricks. She watched, laughed hysterically. This was a match. The days went by, and Marcel and I decided to get married, and I decided to allow him in, and it was hard. During the beginning of our relationship, Marcel's constant argument with me was, you're always answering her questions. You never let me answer her questions. I haven't even taken a walk alone with her. I started to take her to the park, and you followed us. I wanted to go bike riding, and we were two blocks up, and there you were, riding behind us. And when I thought about it, I can remember a time that we went to her gym meet and there were tons of people looking at her and she fell off the balance beam and I grabbed her in my arms and realized that I had pushed Marcel away, who had gotten to her first, but I could do it better. I could hug her better. I could make her feel better. It was my job to, and I had to. So he always felt 
that he was knocking on the door. Let me in to you guys. Let me in. And I used to kind of never take him seriously and kind of poo-poo it. Like, you, you just don't know. You, you're imagining it. Amy loves you. And he would say, are you kidding me? Every time we sit down together, she looks straight at you. And she never once, never once looks at me when we're talking. She only looks at you. And there was no way I could see that then. And we never made love when Amy was around. And if we did, it was very, very stifled. It was shh, shh, shh. Mm. Oh, shh, shh. No, yeah, no, shh. Oh, oh, she didn't hear. Did you hear? No, she didn't hear, honey. She didn't hear. And it was like that. Uh, if she was with my parents, oh, we had wonderful afternoons. But it was, it was I, just, I just couldn't. I couldn't make love when Amy was there. And then on this one night, and I don't really know why, whether she went to bed early, I just felt safe. And she was sleeping, and we began to make love. Suddenly, it didn't matter, and we weren't secret. I unleashed all passion, and it was unbelievable, and we were groaning and screaming and yelling, and the bed was creaking, and... I was moving and turning, and I came over this ocean of waves. I came, and I had really never come before. I realized I never had. And as I was coming, I heard, Mommy! Mommy! Are you hurt? Is he hurting you? And in that moment, I felt as though I had shattered everything that I tried to create with Amy. It was as though it was all broken. And we quickly, quickly, quickly got dressed, got dressed into clothes. And I said, I've got to go to her. I've got to go to her. And I wanted to go. And he said, I'm going to her. And I said, no, I'm going to her. And he said, no, I'm going. And there was this crazy moment of my moving, him moving, and we quickly got dressed, and I, I, I ran out first, but he pushed me back, and he opened her door, and I kind of tiptoed, hiding behind him, and he walked in, and I kept saying to myself, don't, please don't say we were making love, please, and he went right to her bed and sat at the edge of her bed, and she said, is she hurt? Is she hurt? And he said, Amy, mommy's fine. Everything's fine. We were making love. And Amy looked at him and said, making love? And he said, yeah, we were making love. And it was good. And she looked at him and he said, do you remember, Amy, about the cats that we hear outside in the backyard? The other night they were yowling and yowling and making all sorts of sounds and scratching and screaming. And she said, yes. And he said, well, remember I told you that they wanted each other? Remember I told you they were looking for each other? Kind of like the way I tickle you to death. You were, you were laughing so hard you almost were crying and it didn't sound like laughing and it didn't sound like crying, but you loved it. And that's what was happening with me and mommy. And that's what happens when you make love and nobody's hurt. And it's, it's all good. Everything's good. And she said, okay, 
Good night, Poppy. And he walked out the door, and she said, you were making love? And he said, yes, Ames, we were making love. And she said, can I have a glass of water? And he said, sure, babe. And in that one moment, I knew we were a family. And I knew that I was going to love this man forever. years ago, I was on a campaign of self-destruction. I was drinking way too much and hanging out with all kinds of people who made me feel terrible about myself and staying up till all hours of the night. And I asked my therapist, like, why am I doing this to myself? I have lost all sense of direction in my life. What is happening? And she said, well, you need to mourn the death of your mother. (laughs) And, uh, she was right. The thing is, I was dealing with a lot of loss. I had just left my husband and left my apartment and left all sense of comfort I'd had for the past eight years. And I had never really dealt with the loss of my mother when I was 10 years old. So it shouldn't be a surprise that, you know, dealing with this new round of losses, I'm kind of a disaster. So my therapist says, you need to mourn your mother's death, finally. And maybe a good way to start that process is to visit her grave, um, which is something I'd never done before. I'd been at her burial 22 years previously, but I had not been since. Um, My dad would always offer to take me on Christmas and her birthday and like maybe a random Saturday here and there. And I would always refuse because my mom was sick from the time I was five until the time I was 10. And my dad and brother and I had spent so many years being sad about my mom. And I didn't want to be sad anymore. I wanted to ride bikes with my friends um, because being sad sucks. So I would always put him off and not go with him. But I decided it was time uh, when I'm home visiting my parents for Christmas, I'm going to go see the grave and take control of this mourning process. I didn't want to tell my dad because I didn't want him to come along. Um, we, neither of us are very versed in the language of emotion. <laughs> I think it's safe to say. And uh, we have a very friendly, loving, caring relationship at a very safe distance. My mom was the one I would share my feelings with, not my dad. So I'm putting my coat on. My dad says, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going to go visit mom's grave. And he said, do you know where it is? And I said, yeah, it's um, Greenwood Cemetery off 71. I got it. No problem. And he said, no. Do you know where the grave is in the cemetery? And I said, Dad, 
It's my mom's grave. I think I can figure it out. Okay. I have like an incredible sense of direction and like amazing intuition. And I remember from when I was 10 years old that it's a grave by the side of the road where the road bends. I got this. Okay. So I get in the car and I'm preparing myself for this like totally emotional, cathartic moment. And I'm picturing putting my face down on the cold marble like Madonna does in Truth or Dare and like listening to Oh Father swell in the speakers and I'm just getting ready to take control of everything. So I get to the cemetery. It's Christmas Eve, so the office is closed. So there's no map. There's no possibility of getting a map. The cemetery is much bigger than I remembered it being. And also, it's covered in snow. But it's cool. I'm going to use my amazing intuition and incredible sense of direction. I'm going to find this grave by the side of the road where the road bends. And it is a rather windy road around the cemetery, so this resembles a lot of graves. But finally, I find the one. I find the place. I get out of the car. I brush the snow off the grave, and it's not her and neither is the grave next to it or the grave next to that. Okay, that's cool. I blew it this time. I'm just going to hone my intuition. I'll find it this time. Get back in the car, get back out of the car, brush off a grave. It's not her. I repeat this process probably like three or four more times before I throw in the towel and drive home utterly defeated with this huge sense of emotional blue balls and absolutely no catharsis whatsoever. The next night is Christmas, and I get blackout drunk on my brother's Manhattans. I only realize that I was blackout drunk when I wake up and see the Facebook posts I didn't remember posting, and like the cigarette I attempted to smoke and failed, and you know, a text I didn't remember sending. Remarkably, I'm not hungover. So I go downstairs, and my dad says, are you ready? And I said, ready for what? And he says, are you ready to go? And I said, yeah, because I didn't want to let on that I had been blackout drunk. And he said, oh, hold on a second. Um, I want to go get the broom. At which point I start piecing together a conversation I sort of vaguely remember having with him sitting on the couch last night, telling him about the grave and realize, oh, my God, In my blackout haze, I made the deal with my dad to go visit her grave. So we get in the car, and I'm, like, freaking out and texting my friends, OMG, going to visit mom's grave, WTF, with dad, no less. And he's, you know, we're having the same conversation we would be having driving anywhere. He's telling me, oh, you know, I ran into Kara Hughes' dad, and she just moved to Brooklyn, too. And uh, there's a new Italian restaurant on Main Street. And, um... We get to the cemetery, and it being December 26th, the office is open. We can get the map, and we drive right there. We get out of the car, and my dad brushes the snow off one grave, and it's my great-grandfather's grave, and he brushes the snow off the grave next to that, and it's my grandfather, and then brushes the snow off the grave next to that, and it's her, and I'm, I'm there. It's there right in front of me where I watched her body being lowered into the ground 22 years before. 
And I'm standing there looking at it for the first time, seeing her name in the pink marble. And I feel nothing. Absolutely nothing. I think that I'm really lucky because I actually feel like pretty emotionally connected to my mother in a lot of ways. Like anytime I make one of her recipes or like hear a Billy Joel song, even though it's lame, it's one of her favorites, I totally feel connected. And at this moment, there is nothing there. So I turn and look at my dad, and he looks at me, and we don't say anything, but we're immediately drawn to each other, like magnets, and we embrace, and I start crying. And I say, I miss her every day. And he said, I do too. And it was the first time probably in 20 years that my dad and I had had a conversation about her. And it was certainly the most connected I've probably ever been with him in my life, ever. And finally, we let go and he sweeps the snow off the rest of my family's graves. We get back in the car and uh, he says, oh look, that's where they're building the baseball stadium down the street. This is Ivan and Alyosha behind me now with a song called On My Way. And that, the story we just heard, was from Jenny McClelland. She is one of the fabulous burlesque queens of the New York City area. You can find her at MissClamsCasino.com. And we call that lovely story The Long Goodbye. I want you to remember that October 15th, Monday is Max Fun Day. Risk is now a part of MaximumFun.org. We are in that family of podcasts with Jordan Jesse Go, Bullseye, Judge John Hodgman, so many other wonderful shows. And you can support us on Monday, October 15th. Check us out. We're going to be doing Google Hangouts. 
Check us out on Twitter. We're going to be, you know, at Risk Show on Twitter, giving away prizes, flirting with you. You know I'll be flirting with you. If you don't know what to do, just go to MaximumFun.org to learn all about it. Because if you care at all about risk, that is the day and the way to support us. $10 monthly memberships to Maximum Fun, $20 monthly memberships to Maximum Fun. You have access to all kinds of bonus content if you become a member. That includes the all-star episodes of Risk, and a portion of the proceeds also go to help feed the homeless. So, Monday, October 15th, go to MaximumFun.org. Help us out. That is all for this week, folks. Remember, today's the day. Take a risk. The door is almost closed And we stare through the darkness This is Alvin, uh, no, Ivan, god damn it.